quarter to three There's no one in the place Except you and me So set them up, Joe I've got a little story You ought to know Hi there, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Podcast Goes To, a weekly podcast where we randomly select and discuss an Oscar-nominated film. This week, the podcast goes to 2005's Good Night and Good Luck. I'm here with my co-host, Bob Klein. What's up, Bob? How's it going, man? And more importantly, what did we get ourselves into, Matt? I thought we agreed. No more 1950s. We were so excited. The whole episode, we're celebrating that we didn't have to do another 1950s movie. We're like, yeah, 2005. Awesome. And what happens, Matt? What happened? I don't know who we angered up there in the film god court, but oh, what the fuck, man. So, good night and good luck. <laughs> a 2005 film, yes, but a period piece <laughs> that takes place in the 1950s, all in black and white. Oh, I... You called it, too. I mean, you said it after we picked our decade. You said somehow we're still going to end up in, in the 1950s and... You were right. <laughs> I didn't realize that this could actually happen. I was totally joking, obviously. I didn't, like, call it, call it, you know? It's like, oh, yeah, we're going to get it. this one 1950s period piece movie. Sure. If nothing else, <laughs> we're learning a lot about the 1950s. Yeah, I feel like an expert. I didn't think the 1950s were that interesting, but apparently... Yeah, they sucked. And it re all revolves around this same topic of McCarthyism that we've been discussing for several weeks. We talked about it with Roman Holiday and Dalton Trumbo and the Red Scare. And th I guess that was just foreshadowing for this grand climax of Good Night and Good Luck. Well, hopefully you'll get the Trumbo movie next. Oh, no, I don't <laughs> think that was nominated for Best Picture, just Best Actor. No, so. and that was way better than this movie. Yeah, even with Louis C.K. in it. <laughs> Ooh, yikes. I guess that's... Guess that's a sensitive subject. I just meant because he sucked in the movie. It has nothing to do with him masturbating in front of people or whatever he's doing. Sorry, Louie, if you're listening. <laughs> if you're a bad boy, big upset or banana dude or whatever. He would be banana dude, wouldn't he? I mean, so I before guess... we get into that, any <laughs> go ahead, Bob. No, no, go on, go on. Whatever I so... would have said, you would have cut it out anyway. <laughs> so just move on. <laughs> You sound a little bitter. So um, where did you just come from? Do you, I, I think that you you should just tell the world what, what just happened. Okay. <laughs> Didn't see this coming. We I just got back from tennis. Did you win? Yes. We won. <laughs> this podcast brought to you by Team Prasad in the USTA <laughs> Mixed League 8.0, Northern New Jersey. Yeah, it was our first win of the season pretty awesome also the last match of the season so as you can tell we didn't do too well so yeah good times a win feels good until i had well, to sit down and talk to you about this dumbass movie <laughs> i was gonna say let's see if we can extend the winning streak but well hey, we'll see we could let's still uh try and hit a what what's the tennis equivalent of a home run a home run's a tennis thing like a, well, a grand slam is a tennis thing too i i guess so that's the name of a tournament though but yeah, maybe an ace, an ace, probably. Ooh, 
All right. Well, and that was tennis talk. Anyway, so before we get into <laughs> I just this made it sound movie, like I know nothing about tennis. <laughs> you dragged me down Before we get into Matt. this week's movie, do you have any cleanup from last week's movie? I mean, don't we just kill it every time? I know I always say this. I, I really liked learning that the reason why those guys were shirtless in the movie is because they can't conceal weapons when they're in the king's presence if they don't have shirts. Pretty logical. Oh, yeah. It's like... uh those cocaine people like the drug dealing movies where they're all just naked making the cocaine so they can't steal it yeah i wouldn't know anything about that <laughs> be quiet cocaine people in my basement <laughs> who are we kidding i don't have a basement <laughs> i see that your your studio as i'm looking at you consists of is that a mattress up against the back wall yeah, I think my roommate's watching the new Westworld episode right now. So in order to block some of the sound, I just threw my mattress against the wall. And uh, hopefully you don't hear Westworld in the background because I don't want to spoil it because I'm super excited for it. Speaking of super excited, we talked last week about our, our super fan, Nate. And he um, he was kind enough to uh, have a throw a couple beers back and live text me his experience of The King and I. <laughs> I think he got a little confused because at one point he texted me and said, oh my God, he had a head wife. He had a wife who was specifically there to give him head. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what head wife means, of course. Did he not listen to our episode? I described her as the bottom bitch. <laughs> the episode just came out, Bob. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> the episode, <laughs> is it released? Is it out right now? Yeah. What are we doing talking about movies? We could be listening to ourselves talk about movies. <laughs> Shout out to my really busy schedule coming up this week. We uh, did a quick turnaround this week, but you won't know the difference because you'll still hear the episode a week from now. So we got a new fan comment. I'm on the Facebook page now. A little disappointed that we only have 49 likes on the Facebook page. So if you're listening to this, maybe just go ahead and if you haven't given the Facebook page a like, give it a like. And if you want to give it a share, give it a share. And if you want to invite other people to like it, it's amazing to me, man. Like people spend, I, they have to spend at this point the majority of their life in augmented reality. They have to just be on the internet almost every waking moment of their life, right? How difficult is it? to click like on our podcast Facebook page. I just Pretty don't get it. Difficult. People spend I... all this time arguing with each other, but they can't just they can't just do a nice thing for somebody. Click the like button, click that subscribe button. Hell, maybe you just throw this on while you're going to sleep and give us those stats. <laughs> Have it just running all night while you're sleeping. <laughs> get all those plays. I wonder what the tipping point is for how many like how many reviews and how many five-star ratings we have to get on any one of our apps in order for it to like reach a point where other people are like, Oh, this has all this. I should check it out. Do you think it's like a hundred or you think it's more than that? I think it's like a thousand. Try a hundred thousand. Although we I... are already making ad revenue on SoundCloud. Oh yeah. No, 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 we're not. I'm Damn. the only one who listens to it on SoundCloud, <laughs> but it is there and it's on <laughs> Stitcher as well. We have at least one person who listens to it on Stitcher. And in fact, that person Gave us a five-star review this week. So what? He's our, he is our fan of the week. Congratulations uh, to Zach Haskins, who gave us five stars. And he writes, Two bright young minds of the film industry examine what are regarded to be the greatest movies of all time. Yikes, this one is not one of the greatest of all time. But that kid, Zach, is the greatest of all time. Calling us bright young minds in film. <laughs> I don't know if I'm in film yet. 
You're working on real movies. I'm sitting here making garbage. Anyway, garbage. two bright young minds in the film industry examine what are regarded to be the best, greatest movies of all time, and they discuss why Bob Klein's The Cabinet in the Woods is better than all of them combined. Well, that's hmm. really nice of him, and the only reason he said that is because he's definitely not seen the film. <laughs> I have seen the film, and I've really enjoyed it. In fact, I would rank it higher than at least three of the movies that we've watched so far. Wow. Means a lot coming from you, Matt. And Nate, our fan of the week last week, replied that he wants to see a free screening of the cookbook. Mm, I, I kind of buried that one, Matt. The thing is, it's not buried, Bob, because I'm going to bring it up every week. <laughs> I do have a very awesome, important, expensive prop from that film sitting in my closet. Is it a cookbook? No, it's not a cookbook. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I know at least one of the listeners on the show knows what it is, and they'll get a chuckle. And maybe we'll raffle it off one of these days. It's real, Ooh. real awesome. I spent $2,800 on it. I should have known it wasn't the cookbook, because if it was your cookbook, you'd be using it as a, a prop to prop up your microphone right now. <laughs> Still got that Stephen Hawking book propping up my microphone right now. I can't get to it now because then I have to move the microphone, so I can't read the book. How will you ever know what's in the nutshell of existence? All is lost, so... Speaking of all is lost. Speaking of all is lost, I damn near lost my mind watching this week's movie. Good night and good luck. A little George Clooney director action. Yeah, George Clooney directed this movie and was nominated for best director. And um, wow, I, I, where do you where do we even begin with this, Bob? I don't even. We can begin by telling people what it's about because clearly we don't like it. So people probably aren't going to take the hint to watch it. <laughs> Good Night and Good Luck is about, what's his name, Robert Murrow? Yep, Edward Murrow. <laughs> Just put my own name in there. <laughs> it's about Bob Matt Murrow. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, so, <laughs> thanks, man. Thanks for giving me that one sentence this week. I'll take it from here. Yeah, so it was about this television journalist, Edward Murrow. Was it Murrow or was it Murrow? I don't yeah, fucking care. Whatever you just said sounded like the same thing twice. So clearly I can't tell the difference. So the movie is um, about the the conflict between this television journalist, Edward Murrow, and this U.S. Senator, Joseph McCarthy, who we've talked about a few times. Um, he was sort of the, the figurehead of the anti-communist movement during the 1950s. And this uh, journalist sort of called him out on his bullshit. And it's sort of about the responsibility that the media has to be a watchdog to the government and we sort of follow this um, this CBS network for the movie's only an hour and a half long. And thank God. <laughs> yeah, good thing. And just the struggle that this journalist went through because he knew that he was taking a huge risk in calling out a member of the Senate, and he knew that he was going to get some backlash, maybe lose his job, uh, maybe be framed for something, and he just went to do it anyway because that's his responsibility as a journalist and that is uh, geez i pretty much gave you the whole movie i mean i don't there was no additional if you're thinking oh i wonder what the subplots were there, there was any. one subplot there was a, there was one subplot that we could get it to garbage no let's talk about it now there's <laughs> that you know what i'm talking about right robert yeah, downey the marriage, jr the marriage subplot yeah so Robert Downey Jr. plays some guy in the movie that has no in impact on anything. All-star cast. Yeah, there are so many. Yeah, like Alex Borstein's in it. Jeff Daniels is in yeah. it. 
Um, Patricia Clarkson. Yeah, like Robert Downey Jr. Um, I forget his name, but the guy who plays uh, Gavin Belson in uh, Silicon Valley, <laughs> isn't uh, it? Oh, yeah. So... <laughs> They like the the movie opens. Now I'm getting away from what I was about to talk about, Rodby Jenner Jr. The movie opens in like the scene where all they're just smoking and sitting in like some bar or something like that. And they just like keep like whip panning to all these different faces of all these like actors that are in the movie. I was like, oh, wow, they're going to have to flesh out all these characters because clearly they're all super important to the film. Nope. They're just like they establish all these characters and then they like it doesn't they don't matter at all it's all about edward murrow like when i i always go into a movie wanting to like it and i just like sometimes to see how long it takes me until i reach that point where i think oh god we might be in trouble like in star wars the last jedi it took about five minutes (laughs) (laughs) like when oscar isaac's character decides to make a prank phone call to the star destroyer i thought oh no we might be in trouble here. And with that being said, this I was already asleep by then. With that being said, jeez, the first scene I thought was pretty cool because it was a unique way to establish the characters, the time period, the tone, all without any dialogue. And I could see I could I got some idea of how the characters all related to one another. Didn't know any of their names or what their positions were, but I knew that we were here to honor the character who had turned into the protagonist. And whatever he had done was considered to be respectable, brave, honorable. And I was looking forward to seeing what that story was going to be. And it was a decent foreshadowing for the story. And then the next scene was when they lost me. <laughs> so scene two. When wow, they're you... all just... They're, so it's the same group of smoking journalists in a room together just talking over one another saying all these things saying each other's names talking about news stories clutter mayhem chaos don't know anything's going on and that yeah i was like all right this is a problem i have no idea what i'm supposed to be thinking or feeling so we're gonna shit on this movie the whole time i'm gonna point out one of the few things that i really liked about it this is about edward murrow as a journalist taking down senator mccarthy which in practice, this is a pretty cool story. It's something that actually happened. And it's like, oh, a journalist taking down a politician, you know. If only if only something like that would be something around today. The media is, like, so weak these days. But anyway, <laughs> fake news. What I thought was cool, though, was no one played Senator McCarthy in the film except himself. I thought that was really cool. And I don't know if I've seen that too often in a film. I can't think of any that I have. But whenever McCarthy's in the film, it's actual footage of him through, like, their interviews and, like, his Senate hearings and stuff like that. So you're – he's up against the real Senator McCarthy. There's never an actor trying to portray him and trying to do it properly or anything like that. It's just real McCarthy. And I thought that was really cool. I really liked that. The rest of the movie can go fuck itself, though. I I think that was an interesting stylistic choice, and that's actually the reason why this whole movie was set in black and white because – uh, Grant Heslov, who was the producer and he co-wrote it with George Clooney, which basically means he wrote it. But anyway, so he was the one who came up with that idea to just use the found footage of McCarthy. And he sort of backed out of that into the black and white choice for the rest of the film because he wanted it to match. He didn't want it to seem out of place because they shot it in color originally. 
Oh, they did it in post? I didn't know that. Yeah, and then they color corrected it in post. And they shot it on film. So you, I don't know if you could tell that it was film. Yeah, I could tell it's film. That's why I was kind of confused that it was shot in color. I didn't know that. That's that's pretty cool because especially with film, like you save money if it's in black and white. And if it's going to be black and white anyway, like why... You know, I understand if you're shooting digital, like you're going to you're going to fix it in post. You can shoot in color and, you know, do black and white later. But that was that was interesting. Yeah. So I liked that. But this is the danger of we had this talk with Darkest Hour about embellishing the truth to make it more interesting. This is the danger of when you don't embellish a single fucking thing. Like I, I couldn't point to one scene where I thought that was overly dramatized or anything. It was just pretty much straight up found footage and reacting old news segments. And that was, that was, so I liked it, but I also, I also fucking hated it because there was no action. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. It was, it was slow and you're basically just watching him prepare for his speeches like other movies we talked about previously. And he ends every segment with the title of the film. Good night. And good luck. He says the title of the film, like, I don't know, eight or nine times. Mm-hmm. It was a lot. So I put together this little list of films where they say the title of the film in the film. Here nice. we go. I'm putting together a list. We got Dude, Where's My Car? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you remember, but uh, towards the beginning of the film, he goes, Dude, where's my car? <laughs> <laughs> There's, oh, the list got stupider. I love you, Beth Cooper. <laughs> Do you remember that? He actually says that? I've never yeah. seen I love you, Beth Cooper. So in the movie, it's just like this, the nerdy kid falls in love with the, you know, the cheerleader, cool girl in high school. And he's the valedictorian and he gives a speech in the beginning of the film, like his, you know, graduation speech. And in the middle of the speech, he yells it out. <laughs> there is back to the future. We gotta travel back to the future. There is rush hour. They say rush hour in rush hour? Do you know why it's called rush hour? Because it takes place during rush hour traffic. The beginning of the film. Yeah, so the that weird, uh, the bad guy, like the Chinese cop bad guy says it in the beginning before he shoots all the dudes and captures Sue Young while she's singing the Mariah Carey song. Anyway, saving, saving Private Ryan, A Million oh. Ways to Die in the West, both Around the World in 80 Days movies, both True Grit movies, White Man Can't Jump, or White Men Can't Jump, sorry. I love that. It was like so impactful in the movie. White men can't jump. <laughs> I love the first 70% of that movie. When I was really young, like seven or eight, I was at my neighbor's house and she put on white men can't jump. And I remember they, like my mom came over and realized it was rated R and got got really mad at me for some reason. <laughs> like, <laughs> I didn't know. It's just, they just put it on. This is Woody Harrelson in that movie. Yeah, it's uh, Woody Harrelson, Wesley Snipes, and... Woody Harrelson's girlfriend in the film. Oh, I'm forgetting her name. Oh, we'll 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 get back to that one after the break. <laughs> so there's The Rock. Welcome to The Rock. There's Jurassic Park. Welcome to Jurassic Park. I mean, there's a lot more, of course, but the last one on my list is a big one: Hot Tub Time Machine. So I saw this film opening night, not because I'm I was so amped up for it, but we just happened to go out that night whenever I think it was in high school. And it was opening night, and when whatever his name is, Craig Robinson or whatever, when he says it in the close-up in the movie, it must be some kind of hot tub time machine. The whole theater like broke out in applause. <laughs> 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 the 
thunderous applause. It was awesome. Because it's such a silly title, and the fact that he says it in the movie, too, right uh, after they travel back in time in a hot tub. <laughs> did they say it in the sequel? I'm sure they did. I couldn't make it through that horrible piece of garbage. But that first one was a classic. <laughs> so before we before we go to break, do you want to finish your thoughts on Robert Downey Jr.? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I forgot about that. So... The side, the only like B story side plot of this film is Robert Downey Jr. is secretly married to one of his coworkers at CBS, and they have all these scenes where they're like together in private, but they have no impact on the regular story whatsoever. His character has no impact on the regular story. He's almost just there for this part of the story, and I'm sure this actually happened, whatever it was, but like there was no purpose to his character or her character. The only thing she did important in the movie is read a newspaper headline when they're celebrating at a bar. <laughs> and at the end of the film, Jeff Daniels' character, who plays their boss, is like, oh, yeah, we all know you're married. Everyone knew it all along, even though they're in secret the whole time, like hiding. Uh, one of you has to leave the company because it's against our policy. <laughs> this is the whole point of every dialogue scene they have together and all these, like, meetings had nothing to do at all with the rest of the story except that for the end where they just go oh yeah uh, we gotta fire one of you and their reaction to it is just so dramatic oscar winning performance he basically leaves the room and they look at each other and they're like yeah oh well like <laughs> yeah they like joked like oh it's gonna suck without you at the company like i'm not getting fired you're getting fired <laughs> yeah yeah and then they walk off together that's the that's the conclusion to their saga it's like there was a there was some sort of story below the surface waiting to be uncovered but they never they never decide to do it it's like he it's like they had too much integrity to spice it up and they just decided to just get and maybe that was some sort of meta perp decision like the whole point of journalism is to just tell it exactly how it was and that's exactly what they did with just no flavor and no style whatsoever it would have been an interesting twist at the end if something interesting happened <laughs> Yeah, if either of those characters like made a difference in the movie, but they didn't. They were just there for that. And that kind of bugged me. <laughs> it's like all these characters were just so useless. I'm sure they were all important in real life and that's why they had to put them all in the movie. I can't tell you one of their names. Yeah, so it was never quite they never quite clearly introduced anybody. You're thrown in media res, introduced to them just just right in the middle of the action and you don't ever slow down enough to figure out who's who and what's going on. Robert Downey Jr. played a reporter, but I didn't think that he was a reporter. I just thought I, did, I couldn't determine if he was Edward's boss, if he was an underling, if he, if it, what the deal was. I know George Clooney was the producer, I guess. Yeah, George Clooney had like somewhat of a role in the film. He yeah, was like it was basically just George Clooney and I was butcher this guy's name how do you pronounce it david strathairn you're asking me <laughs> oh yeah you're the worst you can't even pronounce my name right i'll give it my best shot yeah i had to pronounce that long ass <laughs> king's name last week it's david the least strathairn let's just call him jason statham <laughs> <laughs> david statham all right it's done so cool. yeah so he was like the only character that had any sort of but even even he was like just dragging through quicksand just trying to watch this guy on screen i mean he was just so bland yeah i'm with you on that so... there's just nothing there's just nothing thrilling about matter of fact 
active. Yeah, they should have put in a 17-minute dance number <laughs> or a play about Uncle Tom's Cabin. <laughs> yeah, and the actual the actual action sequences, the equivalent of the dramatic scenes is when he gives the broadcasts, but it was very obviously just the just a rehashing of the original broadcast they decided to recreate. <laughs> so there was no there was no added there was no there was no music. There's no score. There was that strange jazz singer transition music that occurred. Oh, yeah, I liked her. I don't know what it had to do with anything, but I liked her. I guess it's because they're at CBS. It was like in the studio next door. She was singing an album or something. <laughs> yeah, it was like it was diegetic, but they but they sort of play it off like it's non-diegetic. But then she's always around somewhere conveniently. She's there performing in the bar or she's recording at the studio, but it, they use it as the transition music. It's this jazz singer, Diane Reeves. <laughs> So so weird. Yeah, it was really weird. Although she was awesome. So yeah, it is time to pick our movie decade. Really excited, Matt. Let's see if we can break this 1950s funk. I'm not even gonna celebrate whatever year we get. <laughs> Next week the podcast goes to the 1990s. Alright. Oh wait, we're not supposed to celebrate. Are there any nineteen nineties films about nineteen fifty? I'm sure there are plenty. Should we just disqualify those years now? <laughs> Let's look up all those films and just make sure that they don't get picked. We're gonna take a quick break here, and as we do, we do have a sponsor this week. It is our good friend Keith Brown, who is an avid listener, and um he supplied us with an advertisement for one of the short films that's going to be presented at his may 11th screening at the university of rhode island uh provided to us by one of his students so we're going to go ahead and listen to that for the break and um after that we'll come right back and continue our discussion here on the podcast goes to sophia is a drama based on a true story It's about a girl who struggles with her inner demons, including depression, anxiety, and bipolar disorder, and how she ultimately overcomes them. My brain just doesn't allow me to feel happiness the correct way. And the only thing the doctors say I can do is take so much medication that yes, I don't feel those emotions anymore. Yes, I don't feel sad anymore, but I feel the worst possible thing in the world. Nothing. I have no emotions when I'm on that Prozac. That clonopin, that Xanax, I just feel empty. But I have to prove everyone wrong. And we're back here on the podcast goes to talking about 2005's 1953's (laughs) Good Night and Good Luck. So that was an ad for the short film Sophia, which was um, a film by Sonny Davis who is part of Keith Brown's advanced narrative production class uh, that he gives at the University of Rhode Island, a class that Bob and I are both very familiar with. Yeah, that's right. You know it by now. We both met at film school. I was in Keith Brown's, what was it, like beginning production class? I don't know what it was called, but the intro to production. And Matt was my TA in that class. Hey, people forget. I forget that. You know, technically, I'm still the boss of you. You taught me everything I know, Matt. No wonder why the cookbook was such a bomb. Everything about editing and shooting and writing, it all came from you. Man, I I complete. I kind of forgot about that, to be honest. Oh, you considered us equals? Meanwhile, I've been looking up to you this whole time. Can't you tell by how I talk about you on the podcast? Do you, do you remember my final film from that class? The bowling film. The bowling nightmare where my bowling ball tries to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was that one called? 
<laughs> the bowling nightmare. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Look how far I've come since then. <laughs> now there's furniture haunting people in the woods. <laughs> so I I took several of Keith's film classes back in an era where you could get away with this four years ago. I had a class with Keith every single semester of college for four years. I think I had three of his classes one semester. In one semester? Yeah, in one semester. Well, I, <laughs> I did it a little differently. I was in marine biology, then kinesiology, and then I switched into film my junior year. That's sort of what happened to me. I mean, I took film classes as an elective, and Keith was the the first teacher I had in film 101, and I was a journalism major. You know, then I was You a were secondary. a journalism major, and this film didn't resonate with you? Yeah, it's crazy how that worked out. <laughs> like, I switched from journalism to film, watched a film on journalism, and if journalism was as boring as this film, I'm glad that I'm doing this instead of that. Shout out um, to journalism. So, May 11th, the advanced yeah, May 11th production at 6 p.m. Screening. in the Swan Auditorium, 60 Upper College Road, Kingston, Rhode Island. If anyone is around, um, check it out. If you want, you can like the Film Media Facebook page. It's the Film Media at the University of Rhode Island. Film slash media at the University of Rhode Island. There's always a couple really, really good movies at those screenings. Just a couple? How dare you? I actually I actually might be able to attend that. We'll, we'll see. Right now... Right meow. My schedule looks pretty open that day. My only day off since the last since like Christmas. Actually, I worked on Christmas. Never mind. Yeah, we might have to go ahead and record the podcast that day. <laughs> oh, we should do. Uh, you should come up too. We should do a a live podcast from the screening. We'll interview some of the filmmakers. Unfortunately, six p.m. is a little little tight. It's our last day of filming for um for this movie that I'm on. Exciting. I'd love to hear more about it, but let's talk about the 2006 Academy Awards instead. Oh, before we do that, even though I just had a great segue where I insulted you and got to the topic, we talked about White Man Can't Jump previously. It was Rosie Perez that was in the film. Her name slipped my mind, but goddamn, I loved her in that film. There's stupid Jeopardy studying. Foods that start with the letter Q. Natural disasters. You're so stupid, Billy. And that's my Rosie Perez impression. Speaking Tune of impressions, in. you still owe us an Eminem, <laughs> an Eminem impression. Impression, or, or am I just going to do some karaoke on the podcast? I think you need to do some karaoke. I think this is the perfect <laughs> episode for it. Wow, you really put me on the spot. I didn't even get to warm up my vocals. Eminem celebrating 10 years sober as of yesterday. Yeah, and his music suffered ever since. Come on, let's be real. Dude, I mean, it's different, but it's, I wouldn't say, I mean. It's boring, like this movie. It's not boring. He hasn't made a good song since Without Me. Are you kidding me? Okay, maybe I'm exaggerating. Just for that, you have to, you're, the song, I get to choose the song, and I'm going to choose Love the Way You Lie, <laughs> and you have to sing the Rihanna bits as well, because we're big Riri fans. I love Riri. Bum bum be dum bum bum bum. Does Is that the second time I sang that song? Yeah, like, that was almost like I inserted the sound clip because <laughs> I thought it'd be a funny cue. Well, and... we're giving out a prize to our listeners. Did Matt insert the clip or did I sing it organically again on the podcast? Give us your results on the Facebook page. <laughs> I thought you sung it orgasmically. Speaking of orgasms, the 2006 Academy Awards. 
Do you remember watching the Academy Awards that year? Yeah, that was that that was the year Crash won, and I remember I had watched it in my English class because my teacher was obsessed with it, and then I couldn't believe that it was actually nominated, and then it won. Yeah, it was an interesting year. I don't remember seeing any of these movies before the Academy Awards, so I just kind of sat there and just didn't know what was going on. <laughs> I just remember like being young enough that Brokeback Mountain was like the gay one, and everyone was like, "You've seen Brokeback Mountain? You're gross!" Like. <laughs> That's the era. That was the time frame of my life that I was in. And there were so many. I rewatched some of the clips. There were so many gay cowboy jokes in that Oscars. It was just like the. It was just like the joke of the year. You know, <laughs> every year there's something that's the joke, and and for the next few years it's just gonna be Trump, Trump, Trump. But it was John Stewart hosted this one. There was one film that I did see before the Academy Awards, and I was really excited when it won. Do you know what that is? No, I can only imagine. Best documentary, March of the Penguins. Oh, man. Morgan Freeman, right? I was obsessed with penguins at the time. I think I was in, I had to be in eighth grade, I think, when this when this Academy Award year. I was so obsessed with penguins. My AOL screen name was Penguins Are Sexy. Or actually, it was Penguin Are Sexy. R, like the letter R, and sexy with an I. Um, don't bother aiming me, because I think I deleted it already. But I was That's so obsessed just... with penguins, and I remember being so excited. I made my parents take me to the March of the Penguins, and I just <laughs> fell asleep like 10 minutes in. It was so soothing. <laughs> just watching penguins be penguins for like six hours. I'm trying to remember what my AIM screen name was. Oh, uh, let's hear it. Hunger Force 005. It's not even funny it's so lame. It's okay. I went through a lot. I I was also Stinky Bug 5000. <laughs> And before that, Pokey Kid 92. Oh, 92. Year you were born. How cute. No, I just like the number because the 92nd Pokemon. Do you know what it is? No. Neither do I. I have no idea. <laughs> it, oh, the 92nd Pokemon is. Drumroll. Ghastly, the ghost Pokemon. Anyway. Matt, why don't you just tell us what this film was nominated for? <laughs> uh, so this, yeah, so this was nominated for quite a few awards, actually six. We already talked about it being nominated for Best Director George Clooney, uh, also no- nominated for Best Picture, obviously. Best Screenplay George Clooney and Grant Heslov, who we spoke about earlier. Best Actor David Statham, <laughs> and here's two that I think we need to talk about. Best Art Director, James Bizell, and Best Cinematography, Robert Ellswit, both of whom I probably mispronounced. Um, Did they win the black and white category or the color category? Oh, wait, it's not the 1950s anymore. Oh, wait, yes, it is. This movie's about 1950. I'm so confused, Matt. Ah! Uh, I have a serious problem with this. Do you as well? Yeah, I thought both the cinematography and the art direction were bleh. It's very eloquent. <laughs> very eloquently put, Bob. Yeah, they call me Bob Ebert. In the cinematography, it was like they kept panning around from like character to character. And by the time the camera operator would reach one character, he would just finish the long sentence he just said. And then someone else would start talking and they'd keep it on that person. I guess it's editing, too. That's a problem. At least it wasn't nominated for that. And, like, a lot of it was, like, out of focus. And then it would, like, rack back in. It was just, like, I don't know. It was shot, like, doc style, I guess. It was just, I, I didn't find anything about it interesting. Maybe film wasn't popular then. And the fact that it was black and white made it nominated for an award. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, everything seemed out of focus. It was a lot of, I noticed, characters who were supposed to be focused on in the background with out-of-focus black blobs in the foreground. Like, a lot of, like, miscellaneous typewriters and cabinets and things on desks and even, like, the the back of people's heads, but the, the heads were dominating the foreground, like, taking up half the screen, and then the actor who we're supposed to be looking at is in the background talking slightly out of focus. It was It's just so weird. It was disorienting. Yeah, I wasn't with it at all. Art direction was even more... It was like, what even is the set? Just the, <laughs> like him in his little newsroom giving his speech where everything's just a close-up of his face anyway. You even see the art direction. I guess it was. I guess it was a called what was called a grayscale set. I guess everything on the set was grayscale. They didn't have any color on the set. Well, it was a black and white film. Yeah, I know, but I mean, like, if you walked onto the set, it would look like you'd walked into the black and white film. <laughs> so they shot it in color, even though everything was not in color anyway. <laughs> yes. What the hell? Is this starting to not make any sense to you whatsoever? Like, maybe George Clooney shouldn't be put in charge of a movie. I'm starting to think that lugging furniture deep into the woods to shoot a film seems more logical. So for the <laughs> elevator scene, um, they didn't use a working elevator. They had two sets on either side of a revolving fake elevator. And, and to go between the floors, they just had the doors close and then they would rotate the elevator and reopen it. And it would look like they'd moved up to the next floor. I'm sure there's an elevator in the building that they were shooting, like, on the back lot somewhere that they could have just shot in. It would have been way less complicated than that. Seems overly sophisticated. It reminds me of Disaster Artist when they're shooting that scene in, like, an alleyway. And Seth Rogen's character is like, why don't we just shoot it in that alley over there? It looks the same. And it looks the same as the set they built. And he's like, no, real Hollywood movie. Shoot on set. <laughs> it's like when he could have just not built that set and just shot it right where it actually looked the same. <laughs> this is this is a problem that I've I see all the time in dealing with seeing. I You know, I see a lot of the purchases that get made on these movies and without going into specifics, it's a lot of head-scratching purchases of, did you really need to spend $500 on that? Why couldn't you just get an actual that? You know what I mean? Like, they, they'll, <laughs> like, they'll, like, fabricate something that you could just go to Target and buy for $5, but they'll hire someone to just fabricate an elaborate version of it that looks exactly the same. Oh, dear. You should uh, take a look at some of the purchases on my films. <laughs> I know there's a $2,000 purchase in your closet right now. Yeah, that was something that was fabricated that could have just, we could have used the real thing. I'm so curious about the cookbook. So curious. I'm trying to, I'm trying to move past that one. So let's talk quickly about the best screenplay. What did you think? So for someone who writes short films, and you, so you've done a little bit of writing on your own. What did you think about the structure of this movie? It didn't seem to have any. Yeah, yeah, I'm stumped, Matt. I, I don't recall anything that stands out to me on the structure. The only notable thing is that he gives this speech and then we go back in time and then we go back to the speech, but the speech wasn't impactful to anything I saw on screen. So I didn't really care when it came full circle. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I guess, I guess typically there's what three acts in a screenplay and you have your, your, your rising action, your, your climax, your falling action, your conclusion. Didn't seem to have any of those. I mean, 
the conclusion to the story is it sort of seems like we jump in and we jump out without any sort of conflict resolution. Uh. So the so the ending to the movie is the head of the CEO of the company calls him into the office and is like, yeah, we're, we're going to bump you to the Sunday morning slot or something like that. Which and I guess like, means that they're like demoting his show. Yeah, he's like being relegated to the yeah. B League, basically. And him and George Clooney's character walk out of the room and and they have the same reaction as Robert Downey Jr. had to being told him or his wife have to go. They're just kind of like, well, all right. It is what it is. No fight. No dramatic scene of whatsoever. Yeah. So it's like, how am I, as an audience member, how am I supposed to get into this movie? I, should, I would rather just watch a documentary on the events that occurred. Yeah, that's a good point. Because it, it didn't need to be a movie, I guess. I, I learned about what happened. And it was cool seeing the McCarthy footage you know, intercut with the film itself, but it just didn't interest me. And I could have, you know, sat and just took in the facts point by point. And it would have been the, you know, similar experience. And how much did you actually learn? Because you don't even find out what happens to McCarthy at the end. It was kind of weird. It was interesting parallels between this and, and Darkest Hour, how because it's a true story, it's like they achieve the goal. And then in the end, a lot of crap happens because crap happens in life. Mm-hmm. It's like Darkest Hour, it's like, yeah, Churchill did it. He gave his inspirational speeches and they, you know, survived. They didn't get conquered by the Germans. Oh, by the way, he didn't get reelected because <laughs> everyone hates him. And it was like the same thing in this movie. It's like, yay, he did what he wanted to do. He got rid of McCarthy by calling him out and doing some good journalism. So what's next? Oh, his show's basically getting canceled. And Robert Downey Jr. has to leave. <laughs> and like, just, and that one dude committed suicide. I guess that was another subplot, was that there was like another newscaster who was was not taking the criticism as well as everyone else, and he put his head in, in an oven. Again, that was another not fleshed out character that had no impact except at the end. It's like, oh, I guess I saw him on screen enough that I should care that he died. It was the same concept as the Robert Downey Jr. He, like, shows up randomly for, like, one or two conversations. And then at the end, they're like, oh, yeah, he killed himself. And it's like, okay, great. But, like, what was the point of that character in this film? Like, what did he do? Yeah. All I know for certain, Matt, is that George Clooney is going to come after us. This movie definitely had this vibe of, like, hey, George and all of his friends got together and they shot a movie for fun. (laughs) We're real assholes, aren't we? I just have a problem when someone with a lot of money and power decides that they're going to utilize it to make whatever movie they want, and we're expected to like it. And that seems to have fooled the Academy, but I, it didn't fucking fool me. The Academy like, loves these kind of movies, though. Like, look how many there were. Journalists coming out, true story kind of thing. It's like, we have Spotlight. We have The Post. <laughs> you know, There's, like, so many of these journalism. Journalists doing what they do best. Being journalists. There are challenges in their road ahead them, but they succeed in bringing down, whether it's the U.S. government or Catholic priests or (laughs) Senator McCarthy. (laughs) One of the things I learned was that the Catholic community was one of the strongest bases of anti-communist sentiment in the United States during this time period, and they constituted over 20% of the national vote, so they were a very strong voice, and uh, it's funny how that seems to be the case today with catholicism in the muslim community catholics just ruining everything all the time (laughs) it's almost like a fear-based religion tends to spread 
xenophobia. <laughs> Did we just become a Catholic bashing podcast? <laughs> On that where, note. where did that come from? Tune in next week for the movie Spotlight. <laughs> we should just throw in Passion of the Christ just to seem a little unbiased. Is Mel Gibson a Catholic or like just an ordinary I, Christian? I think he's just fucked up. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and pick our year. Next week, the podcast goes to 1998. All right. I was alive then. Let's go ahead and take a quick break, and we will come right back. Eminem celebrating 10 years sober as of yesterday. Yeah, and his music suffered ever since. Come on, let's be real. Not as raw as I was. Walk on water sucks. Bitch, suck my dick. It's boring like this movie. Bin Laden with a pin, body and again. I begin slaughtering your men. Polly should have been. Ali get a spin. Golly, embodiment of sin. Like a Saudi and the Taliban plotting an event. In a lobby at an intercontinental with an obvious intent. And I will not even relent upon a little. Like Osama with a bomb under the Benetton. A middle of the Pentagon. I hit a kindergarten with a riddle. He hasn't made a good song since Without Me. You just called my shit trash. Thank God I rap better when the odds are stacked. Revival's whack. I don't like the zombie track. And when he's talking that garbage, psychotic crap. Push the continent. What's with all the conscious rap? Pink, Beyonce, this, and Kalani, that. Yes. I just had it to the fuel in my rocket pack. Till I'm ready to respond, then I'ma launch it at him. Idiotic from the fucking embryonic sack to the body bag. I'll be back, and when I am, I'll be at your fucking throat like Coruscant. All right, welcome back to the podcast goes to this week. The podcast goes to good night and good luck. A film from 2005 about the frickin 1950s. So to finish out the Oscar year, this film, how many awards did it win, Matt? Don't think it won any, Bob. It did not. It didn't win best picture because Crash won that. Actor David Strathairn. He was pretty good in this, but he couldn't beat out Philip Seymour Hoffman and Capote. Who went to director this year? Was it for Brokeback Mountain? Ang Lee. Yeah, Ang Lee. So, yeah, so it didn't win any awards. And I got to be honest, I know that we've said this a few times throughout the show, that we're particularly bitter about this movie. I wanted to know just what people saw in this movie. So I just uh, I just wandered on over to Rotten Tomatoes to see what uh, see what the people had to say. And uh, I thought maybe I haven't read any of these, but I figured I'd just go to some of the fresh tomatoes and see what they had to say. See if we agree or disagree. So Bruce Newman of the San Jose Mercury News says rarely moving a facial muscle except to exhale smoke and brimstone. Jason Statham wonderfully recaptures Moreau's deadpan delivery style. Did you just call him Jason Statham? (laughs) I have abandoned his name completely. So Bruce is basically saying, rarely showing any emotion or having to do any sort of acting of any kind. This actor does a great job of portraying the character. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't think he did a bad job. I thought he did a really good job in this film, and I think the the nomination is well-deserved. It's it's everything else that bothered me about this film. But I guess keeping your face still is uh, super hard to do. Yeah, so apparently this guy Moreau smoked 65 cigarettes a day and he would eventually die of complications from lung cancer several years later. Um, pretty sad. A little depressing little tidbit for you. Joel Siegel from Good Morning America says, Good night, good luck will make my 10 best list. Unquestionably one of the best films of the year. Hmm. Wow. What a review. That's that's quite the statement. Let's see what else came out this year. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. I mean, how do you beat that? Batman Begins. Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Wow, and he <laughs> thinks that Good Night and Good In Luck is opinion, better. In my opinion, the Jedi are evil. 
You killed younglings, Anakin. God, that film is so bad. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, 40-year-old version. Cinderella Man, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, that creepy remake of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> if it wasn't creepy enough, like... <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's, you know, I gotta, gotta tell you, not a lot of good movies this came out this year. This might, this, this might have cracked the top ten. Didn't you say top ten of all time? Oh, no, just of the year. Oh, okay. Oh, I, I mean, sure. It was one of the five nominated for Best Picture, so you got to include five more in there. I, I guess that's fair. I don't know. I mean, March of the Penguins and Wallace and Gromit came out that year, so. Mm, that's true. Shout out so to Bob- Wallace and Gromit winning Best Animated Film. Suck it, Disney. Didn't win that year. Bob, breaking news. Keith has Keith has phoned into the show. He wants to know when your bathroom break was during the King and I. <laughs> if your P app told you when to, when to take a walk. <laughs> That's really funny, Keith. My. <laughs> Does that mean he's listening to the episode right now? <laughs> yes, as as we are live on this week's podcast, he's on last week's podcast, back in time, learning all about how much we hated the king and I. <laughs> Tune into this episode and hear so, how much we hated. So here's my answer to Keith. I wasn't watching it in the theater, so I could just press pause and go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> although i didn't because i didn't care that much about that movie so i, I just, gonna say, I just I let it run i just let it run no i'd actually so i did it i would do it during the songs because they're just so dull i was like ah whatever they're just gonna keep singing i'm just gonna walk go to the bathroom all right let's get one more review in a film that will live on for years because it bears a message about dissension and the power of the press a power that has faded that's from Felix Felix Vasquez from 2009. <laughs> well, oh, I mean, it is, it is relevant. Like this, it, the the story itself, like the actual true story, I think is very powerful. You have a journalist taking down a, a politician just just yeah. by calling him out on his show and not and standing his ground. It's very it was very relevant when it came out in 2005. I'll tell you that much. And it's it's just as relevant today. So I get the power of the story itself, but just the film. The film was not that interesting to me, so I guess that's where it fell off for us. And that's how we kind of were about Darkest Hour, too. Yeah, and they even spiced up Darkest Hour. I mean, that subway scene was embellishment at its (laughs) finest. (laughs) So I guess, like I said earlier, you have a movie that was heavily embellished with, with a dramatic score, and you have a movie with no score that was not exaggerated whatsoever, and they both had their flaws in separate ways, and, but this one, this is one of the more forgettable movies I've seen in a very long time. This also kind of reminded me, now that I'm thinking back, of more like movies that are kind of like this, is like Frost Nixon. It's kind of like that too, except instead of having like someone play Richard Nixon, I, I guess it was nice to not have someone try and be <laughs> McCarthy. You just get actual McCarthy. Keith is now live, live Facebook commenting, The King and I. <laughs> He said that, oh, no, they just sang I Whistle a Happy Tune wrong. Wait, what? He's criticizing what we're saying? How yeah, he's, he's, he doesn't like how we, our rendition of I Whistle a Happy Tune. A comment, though, on what you said about bathroom breaks. I don't think I took bathroom breaks during our film screenings for our semester because the Run P app didn't exist then, and the films were all just so good. So May 11th, head on down <laughs> to the University of Rhode Island. There's a 30% chance I might be there as well. Oh, 30%? That's... <laughs> Higher than 29%. That's, that's as high as the Good Night and Good Luck rating on Rotten Tomatoes. 
<laughs> exactly. I'm just kidding. It's actually at 93%, which is fucking crazy. I mean, why don't we just sit here and wait for Keith to say more things to you so he can react to them? This is fun. We should do this more often. Have someone live live tweeting our last show as we do this show. Yeah. Let's uh, let's just have Keith record something, his reaction to uh, our episode and just put it on <laughs> put it on the episode. All right. Matt, where are we? We're in 1998. Yeah. What movies were in 1998? Let's hear them. I'm happy to report that not one of these movies is not one of these movies takes place in the 1950s. However, also not one of these movies takes place in 1998. They're all period pieces. Um, And the period piece goes to. I think we need. (laughs) I think we need to add a trope to our trope tracker. Period pieces. This week, uh, the nominees are Shakespeare in Love. Oh yes. Elizabeth. Saving Private Ryan, The Thin Red Line, and Life is Beautiful. You have any uh, front runners you're rooting for right here? I'm rooting for probably Saving Private Ryan. It's probably my favorite of those five. I'm gunning for Shakespeare in Love, baby. Really? No, no. Okay, next week the podcast goes to Saving Private Ryan. Oh, yeah. Little Steven Spielberg action. This is exciting. We almost got Spielberg last week with Munich. Dodged that bullet. And now we'll, the bullets will be flying next week. <laughs> dodge, dodge that bullet. That's a good uh, good pun for Munich, I think. Yeah. There's gunshots and stuff in that, right? Yeah, and it was also a Saving Private Ryan thing. But, but yeah. That's funny. There was a Steven Spielberg joke at the 2006 Academy Awards. <laughs> what was the joke? The so... <laughs> So I don't even remember this, but Ben Stiller comes out in a green outfit and he's just floating. He's like bobbing around and he's like, I'm presenting the special effects award this year as a floating head. Whoa, through the magic of green screen. And it's just him in a green suit acting like an (laughs) idiot. He's like, now the award's going to be given out by no one. And he puts on like a green mask. (laughs) He's just making the, the envelope like float around. This will blow Spielberg's mind. And then it cuts to Spielberg in the audience just unamused. <laughs> like, nope, stop blowing my mind. <laughs> oh, Ben Stiller, you're so silly. So next week, we will talk about Saving Private Ryan. Matt, good night and good luck. <laughs> and to the rest of you, good luck listening to this entire podcast you made it congratulations you're at the end um all right bob see you next time good night and good luck all right and that's the end of the show now i will have the last word and goodbye bob goodbye good night and good luck yep goodbye (laughs) good night good night (laughs) good luck Bye.